this is Dana. Uh, thank you guys again for tuning into another episode of the Super Best Friends Music Show podcast. Uh, if you're enjoying it, uh, please, please take a minute to uh, subscribe and rate it on Apple Podcasts. It really does mean a lot to us and, and helps us uh, get it up in in the charts or whatever it really helps us get it up it really helps <laughs> us get it up uh, if you don't tell us how we're doing it we can't get it up <laughs> we're flatlining over here uh yeah that's fine that's good right <laughs> yeah that's perfect All right, you guys want to yeah. get this going? Alan, do you want to do our intro? I will do our little intro. Hey, everybody. With the scat. Boom. Welcome to the Super Best Friend Music Show. Show, show, show. We were kids tickets are still just fine. Oh, <laughs> I've been meaning to talk to you guys about that. We are losing money hand over fist for the fucking kids tickets. It's crazy. Well, no also, kids. I've noticed a lot of people are getting let in as kids because they're on their knees with their shoes on their knees. It's too convincing. Oh, that gets us every they're time. They're really good at it. This town is just so many full people. of circus folks. <laughs> we never should have moved to Barnumville. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Super Best Friend Music Show. <laughs> Coming to you live from Barnumville. If, yeah, next to Baileytown. <laughs> we should have known something was up when our lease was... Uh, we had to pay in peanuts. <laughs> and our yes. landlord was an elephant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brave digger. <laughs> if, uh, this is your first episode. <laughs> Maybe you're a big Jimmy Cliff uh, fan. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're a big Truckosaurus fan. Thank you, Truckosaurus. <laughs> so, if this is your first episode of the Super Best Friend Music Show, this is what happens exactly. Uh, and then eventually we will discuss uh, one album every single week. And this week. We are discussing Dana's pick. Dana, what are we discussing? Um, that would be The Harder They Come, the soundtrack. Uh, and we'll be discussing the movie, too, I imagine. Um, but it's a reggae soundtrack. Um, it's a compilation of, like, some of... It's very indicative of, like, a, the time of, like, kind of the inception of reggae in Jamaica and... Uh, its presentation to the world at large. It wasn't really a thing before this uh, soundtrack was released with the movie. And it's just so good that uh, it pretty much sparked, you know, the, I guess, like worldwide view of like Jamaican culture as we know it now, uh, where it wasn't really a thing before that. Um, so the, the movie and then we have the soundtrack too. Dana. Yes. Let me say something real quick. Okay. 
I'm Alan Richardson. I'm here with Dana Slattery. <laughs> and, and with us, of course, is also Joe Palana. Okay. Uh, now, yeah, you started, like, we went, you went right into that, and I was like, ooh, wow, we didn't segue at all. Then I was like, ooh, I never introduced anyone at all. We just started to talk about Truckosaurus, <laughs> and I was like, hey, you like Jimmy Cliff? Let's talk about him. This, uh, and if you think that was a crazy beginning, everybody, uh, we've been talking for an hour now. So, yeah. if you, but think, I like that we've learned to not record it. Though. Yes. Oh, you <laughs> yeah. guys were. Although recording, I do but... like, <laughs> I usually do record it because I do think one day we will be able to make an episode or like a year's worth of episodes of all the conversations we cut <laughs> because they go nowhere and mean nothing. <laughs> it's a it, podcast. It scares about me nothing. to. <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with this music podcast? <laughs> They well, talk about know. nothing. Who's who's the audience for that? I don't think I want to know them. Yeah. Anybody that just wants to listen to us fucking shoot the shit with little to no direction. But we are funny and interesting. You hear that, mom? But other than that, <laughs> we, yeah, are funny. we are funny, interesting, and hot. <laughs> so you should listen to us, you fucking plebs. You should Piece be shit. You should be sucking your own toes because we're so far away. You can't do it to us. Uh, you know, I, Anyways, I have that so, on a throw pillow. <laughs> Should we start an OnlyFans? I do. Off. You can buy a sticker off com. I'd rather be sucking Thor's brother's toes. Uh, which which Hemsworth we talking? Or is it Loki? Um, so you're the first person to get that it was a Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, those are good toes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's Luke Hemsworth, by okay. the way. The least famous Hemsworth. I'd rather be sucking Thor's brother's toes than... They're Australia's number one export. Did you... Have, <laughs> have you ever heard this? I've heard this from a couple of people now. That I guess it's a saying in Australia that I didn't come here to fuck spiders. <laughs> no. No. Isn't that the best? It's pretty <laughs> I good. Didn't do well, I didn't come things. here to fuck, fuck spiders. spiders and chew bubble gum. <laughs> um, oh, Why is that in Australia? Is that like a thing in Australia? Have... Well, there's spiders everywhere. Yeah. Sure, sure. So it's like, well, hey, are you, are you? Do you guys want to like watch the game? Well, I do. And they're like, well, I didn't come here to fuck spiders. Because <laughs> well, you know, there's definitely spiders. spiders you can fuck. I didn't come here to fuck spiders, mate. Let's go watch the big uh, Aussie game, Aussie ball. What do they call football? Yeah, they call it Ruggles. Aussie ball. <laughs> Ruggles. <laughs> Let's go watch the Ruggles, mate. Watch the Ruggles? Watch Road Warrior with Mel Gibson, mate. Road Warrior. Watch Pirates of the Caribbean, mate. He's going to go to war with the road. He's going to take the road to war. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) He's a Mad Max, mate. He's Max. It's dumb that they named it that because he's he's a guy named Max that just kind of gets mad. Uh, You know, he gets mad... For an understandable reason, they do. <laughs> he gets, you know, he goes mad. He gets so mad, quite Imagine frankly. You, post-apocalyptic bikers rape and murder your wife, and you don't get mad. <laughs> like that's, that was a real. Uh, that started a real Austin Powers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> um, I don't know if we've talked about it here, but it's something I've been thinking about for a good maybe two months now. Uh, do Australian 
Christians think that Jesus has an Australian accent. We have done this on the podcast. <laughs> we have? Okay, we we'll, won't we'll do I it again. I think you might have cut it from the first episode, and then it just keeps coming back. <laughs> well, I, I think about it all the time. I say Plagued, it, haunted by this we, my, my brother and I say it to each other constantly, just, good day, mate, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> I was about eating my body and drinking my blood. Uh, any Australian listeners need to get back to us as soon yeah, as I'll possible. Pick a Eucharist yeah, did you come here to fuck spiders and what does Jesus sound like? <laughs> Do your impression of Jesus. <laughs> what does he sound like? Yeah, you can call us. Let me get you the number here. Yeah, we were... We were just about to be on track, and boy, did we swerve. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I realized I hadn't introduced anyone. Oh, yeah. Well, I realized we hadn't talked about Australian yeah, Jesus Yeah, the Australian yet. Jesus well, is then we just talked about, the corner. I guess I did bring up Australia, and then I keep... I guess that's my problem. We're here to talk about Jimmy Cliff. Perfect transition. <laughs> if you're Australian and want to call into the show, you can give us a call at 978-769-2051 and uh, let us know what Jesus sounds like. So, Dana, we're doing the Harder They Come soundtrack today. <laughs> that's right, Alan. The Harder They Come. Um, so, I, I don't know. What what was uh, your relationship, both of you, your relationship with this soundtrack before? I know... Joe, you had heard a little bit. Joe lit up like a fucking lightning bug when I mentioned that I was going to talk about this one last week. And I'm really worried that he knows a lot more about it than I do. Well, you know, I... Ska in yeah, general. I mean, I'm, right? a big, Here it comes. I'm a big Ska nerd. Here we fucking big, go. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> Here we go again. Big Ska nerd. Uh, really love, like, this, like, era of Jamaican music. Like, uh... 50s, 60s, 70s. I just think it's so fucking good. It's just, it's so soulful. So uh, uh, the rhythms are so uh, fun, and it's so <laughs> different than what like ska became in the 90s. Like it's just like, uh, it's actually really good and heartfelt and uh, about things, and I really love it. But that being said, I thought I knew more about this album. I, I was surprised at how little I knew about this album because I got it from my siblings and they only had the Jimmy Cliff songs. Like, they just didn't give me the other songs on it. But I had heard them through... What do you mean? They, like, scratched it out or something? No, like, like <laughs> or it's just, like, 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 a, uh, like, they gave, like, they only put the Jimmy Cliff songs on their iTunes and then they gave it to me through iTunes. So it was just like, oh. But, like, I, I knew all those songs from, like, various, like, live performances I've been to and, like, compilations. So it was just, like, crazy. Like, oh, this is also on this? Oh, this is also on this? It's just, like, it really is, like, a best of, of yeah, Jamaican totally. music. Like, it's just, like, at, at, at that in that time window it's like it's all killer and i was really pleasantly surprised like listening to the whole album for like the first time in a long time and being like wow everyone is crushing it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there's not a bad song on the album it sounds like hyperbole to say it's like the best like music soundtrack of all time but i think it really is that good you know and like the movie's pretty good too the movie's good but i think that the soundtrack's a lot better than the movie which isn't like a i'm not bashing on the movie but i'm just like saying that the soundtrack is really really yeah, good i i think like it's, like it's definitely not been like a cool thing to be like a big scott reggae nerd in like the suburbs of massachusetts 
But uh, I think like the biggest com- like diss you hear against reggae from a lot of people that don't really listen to it is that like it all like sounds the same as what like a lot of people say. But then like if you hear this album, you're like, wow. Ev- a lot of white people. Yeah, a lot. Of, uh, that and to be fair, a lot of white reggae sounds the same. <laughs> it is just <laughs> really lame white people <laughs> speaking in bad. Ger- That's always the craziest thing when like white reggae is about. How racism is bad while they're doing a fake patois. It's just like this is really totally, Yikes. totally inconsistent. But um, yeah, this album so, so many styles, so much, um, the musicianship. Like every song, it, it's really a beautiful window into what white people were not getting about the scene. Yeah, totally. Well, it's so it is a um, it's mostly singles released. Um, between 1967 and 1972 in Jamaica. There's the Jimmy Cliff songs, um, including the title track, Harder They Come, which he wrote for the movie. Um, but other than that, it's just like some Jimmy Cliff songs. He's got four or five songs on there. And then like other sing- single, yeah, singles cherry-picked from that time. Like So it really does give you like a perfect sort of like snapshot of like what the, the music was like there at that time. Uh, Alan, what what about you? So this is, I thought I had known more about this album, but apparently I knew pretty much nothing uh, aside from that it was, I, I thought it was all Jimmy Cliff. Me too. That I when I kind of, I didn't actually realize that it was a soundtrack because my like first uh, knowledge of it is from like the sound well not soundtrack but just like you know record bins where it's right. like okay this is Jimmy Cliff like this is a Jimmy Cliff album I didn't right. even realize it was like a movie with it and yeah and that was like a big thing it, I thought it was gonna be more like Goblin or like um, like Superfly yeah but I didn't realize it was just like a soundtrack to Harder They Come and then I never I had never seen the movie I feel like I assume I had heard songs off of this album before like i texted you guys yesterday that i i didn't know many rivers to cross was a jimmy cliff song which i know that gets me canceled for saying that into a microphone well (laughs) it has Um, been covered by a million people well i'm curious who you have heard cover it like who i know it as uh harry nelson and john lennon song i don't know if i've maybe i have that's I've just been listening to this a lot lately, so maybe it's just like buried in my mind somewhere. I have I listened to this it. so much in the last few days. I really love this album. I was a big fan, and it's one of those things that like, oh, sleepy Alex. I'm a sleepy boy. <laughs> I've already been up for so, so long. <laughs> oh, uh, it's He's this adorable. was something that like. <laughs> I feel like I should have listened to years ago because like we were talking about two before we started recording that I feel very lucky that I worked in a record store from when I was 19 to 26 where there it's like, those are the formable years where like you become kind of who you'll the basis of who you'll be as an adult. And I got to form that through just random pickings of just like, Oh, this album's supposed to be classic. This album I see all the time. This album you see get re-released every four years. And uh, I don't know why this was never an album I grabbed when I feel like mostly because I just went through 
I don't, I don't know what I never really went went through that much reggae or ska music aside from like a lot of Burning Spear albums. Yeah. And uh was it Trojan? Trojan, yeah. That those are yeah, great. They had like a box set out for a while. And it was just kind of like that's the only reggae I knew it would just be random CDs I'd pick up or just like stuff that looked interesting. Right. Well, I think that there's like this sort of narrative that comes along with reggae in the United States where it just like it starts and ends with Bob Marley. Yeah. Uh, you know, greatest hits of Bob yeah, Marley. I, I, I've heard like the I've heard a lot, a lot of like people say like legend by Bob, Bob Marley was like the greatest and worst thing to happen to reggae because like it was such a huge success and it is I mean, Bob Marley was great, <laughs> like by all. Like, yeah. No, right. We're not. Nobody's knocking Bob Marley. But he, he. I've never really listened to Bob Marley. He is really good, but he's not. I am like such a white kid from the suburbs. He is not <laughs> the definition of reggae, which is what he kind of became. Right. And it's actually amazing that he is not on this album at all. Like, I think that's really, really cool Whoa. that they didn't put him on there. I, I I wonder when, I might have it here in my notes somewhere, actually. So, I mean, he was, like, in that scene, yeah. like, at this time. You know, he was, like, hanging out with all these guys recording at the same places. Um, the, the guy, Leslie Kong, who put out the first uh, Jimmy Cliff single, also put out Bob Marley's first sing- single, and uh, you wonder, like, why he's not on the album at all. But, like, I don't know. I kind of think that that is part of why this... I wanted to talk about uh, this album, too, because it's, like, it, it gives you, like, a, a bigger picture view of reggae at the time without talking about Bar- Bob Marley because he's been talked about enough and this morning I was just looking at pictures of Kingston, Jamaica, which is in the movie where um, Jimmy Cliff's character, uh, Ivan, moves to Kingston. Um, and it's the capital of Jamaica and the largest city. And I was looking at pictures this morning of it. And there's just like, it's it, there's so much tourism uh, dedicated to Bob Marley. And like, I did not so much like the rest of reggae music. So like even in Jamaica... It seems like there's it's like a you know blessing and a curse <laughs> like Bob Marley's it for a lot That's of people when it comes comes to reggae music. Yeah, and I don't maybe it's because he died so young. I don't know. Like he is great, but <coughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. Like there's just so much more. Yeah, it's it's weird that some people were just like, I stop at legend. You know, like let's not look back at. At some of the stuff, because Bob Marley... It's even a disservice he, to Bob Marley. <laughs> it re- Right, it really is, yeah, because he would... You know, we'll talk about the sort of um, genesis of reggae and, you know, where it came from and what it turned into, because there's a lot to talk about there, uh, more so than just like, you know, oh, it's just reggae. Like, reggae started all... Reggae's all Jamaican music, where it's like, it's actually a pretty interesting lineage uh, that that Bob Marley was actually a part of. Like, he was, you know, there with the Whalers, and he, he, you know, transformed as an artist into a reggae, into reggae music, or I should say reggae music became a thing 
and Bob Marley, you know, obviously wrote and performed reggae music, but he also was a, a ska performer before then and Rocksteady as well. Um, so it's like he had he had his come up with reggae music in general. So maybe that's why he's like synonymous uh, with the genre itself. Yeah. I know so little, Dana. Teach me absolutely anything, <laughs> and I will be amazed. Well, I feel like I that came I need... out wrong. Not that <laughs> you fucking teach me yeah, something, I would fuck? be amazed. Fuck you, sir. Good lord, a fucking lady teaching me abroad. <laughs> abroad teaches me about reggae. Australian Jesus has never heard of such a thing. <laughs> POV abroad teaches you about reggae. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, um, so yeah, there's lots to talk about here. Reggae music. Uh, the name of the podcast is now just Rhythm Brats. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, Joe was kind of a little bit, like, tepid about talking about last week when we were talking about Tierra Whack. Like, I am not an authority on ska music or reggae music. I just love this album very much, and I find the history very rich and the movie as well there's like a lot to talk about so that's that's why i want to talk about it but you know i'm by no means an expert and you do have dreadlocks as well you should, well sure my, my locks it is a podcast they should know <laughs> that you, <laughs> you my blonde dreadlocks yeah <laughs> very natural you live voice. in we won't say what state dana lives in but it's white <laughs> and now they all know which one it is i would Wager your state might have the highest density of white dreadlocks. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Colorado. Colorado, okay. Um, but, Colorado but Colorado's bigger, or, so I'm talking density of dreadlocks. Not... Yeah. Oh, density for, per capita? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> per capita. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> oh, man, the amount of people that just like went through my mind. With white dreadlocks. Yeah, I know. Just like in my mind, I just like look through a concert of just like look at all these white people with dreadlocks that are probably in Colorado right now. <laughs> yeah. I had a real judgmental like out of body experience just then. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> your eyes are all glossed over. I love the idea of a, I'm just, a judgy out of body experience. My spirit is flying over people in the Colorado, Colorado being like, these fucking like you assholes. Don't, Shame you, on you. You don't gain any insight onto yourself or like human existence. <laughs> you just are like, fuck those nerds. You know what? I have an out of body experience to be like, fuck white people with dreadlocks. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any uh, just... big revelation from the great beyond? <laughs> Nah, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait till we uh, talk about a fish album, which yeah. we will. We will go there at some point. Oh boy. Oh god, I am a white person with dreadlocks. I mean, not in just on the inside, not physically, <laughs> but on the inside. <laughs> My other we'll spirit is a dreadlock. <laughs> <laughs> oh like, god. Yeah. You're like Patronus from Harry Potter. It's just like a stoner <laughs> white kid. Oh, go so fight at the mentor. God, it literally is. Just, what is this in my hair? Oh, fuck. <laughs> it's starting. Oh, God. But yeah. Um, Full disclosure, I'm not that person. I try really hard not to be that person. <laughs> Tell me I'm not. 
She tried really hard, but... <laughs> but dot dot dot. No, Dana's not that person. Yeah. Dana you know, not, doesn't have dreadlocks. Dana doesn't have dreadlocks. She's a very considerate, nice, learned person. I don't know about that. Just should come on, learned just take it. your all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm, listen, listen, bro. I'm just, <laughs> just take your compliments, shut up, and shut tell up. me about reggae. <laughs> Preferably while baking or something. <laughs> I didn't say I've that. I've got a banana bread in the oven. Perfect. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that does. All right. That sounds good. Actually, that sounds dope. All right. So the harder they come. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me down. just emphasize the harder the they come. come. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <clears throat> released in 1972, or the movie was, and I think the soundtrack was also released in 1972 in the UK on Island Records, which is, uh, Island Records apparently was, per my reading, it was actually, like, created in, in Jamaica, which I never knew because it's such a, I mean, it makes sense, Island, but it's, it's a pretty big label, mm-hmm. um, but Island Records is kind of, supposed to be like you know partly responsible for this like worldwide um appreciation of reggae that just wasn't around before um who is that guy i'm trying to find my notes are not organized john the, reggae <laughs> john d reggae feller <laughs> chris black <Blackwell>. reggae feller who's <laughs> that reggae feller mm. oh yeah that's right <laughs> John D. Reggae Feller. Vertical this is my rewriting of reggae. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> this revisionist history of reggae. And that's when John D. Reggae Feller, owner of Island Records, showed up on the island. Monopolize it. Name... <laughs> Monopolize it. Monopolize and monetize the catchphrase of John D. Reggae Feller. This could totally be a track on your album, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big commercial break. Yeah. Um, no, his name was Chris Blackwell, and uh, he was uh, white. Uh, he formed Island Records in Jamaica in 1959 at 22 years oh. old. Um, so, yeah, right? So here's something to make you feel like shit today. Um, I've made it he- so far into the day. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it was looking pretty good. Sorry to turn it around. Um, so he, yeah, so Chris Blackwell starts Island Records, um, and then it was released in the U.S. on Mango Records, which was a sub-label of Island Records, I think, just for the U.S. Uh, recorded in 1967 to 1972, so they were recording uh, tracks for this album like right up until the release of it. And oh, right, because it's just random. It's just like different singles, right? So it's just kind of like... Right, yeah. Okay. So I think those are that the Jimmy sense. Cliff songs on it. The Jimmy Cliff songs are the ones that that came later because he wrote some. He wrote "The Harder They Come" for the movie. It was actually the movie was supposed to be called something else. Or wait, yeah, yeah. So the movie was supposed to be um, named after a different uh, Jimmy Cliff song, but then mm. they changed it to "The Harder They Come," and then Jimmy Cliff was like, "I'm going to write a song called "The Harder They Come." So uh, the album is, uh, let's see, 12 songs here. There are a couple of Jimmy Cliff songs. You got Toots in the Maytals, um, 
Why is um what's the Desmond's Becca song like blocked out on Spotify? I don't know. That's actually YouTube music. I wish it wasn't. We'll listen to that one because it is really it's great. Like, yeah, that's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I mean they're they're really there's not like we said earlier, really, there's not a bad song on this album, if you mm. ask me. There's uh Jimmy Cliff, Tooth in the Maytals, uh the Slickers, Desmond Decker, and uh, that's pretty much it. So I guess there's not oh, and the Melodians, Rivers of Babylon. That's a great, great song. Um, they're all good. Oh, yeah, um, but yeah, so Jimmy Cliff gets the he gets the billing. Um, I guess because he wrote the titular song he has a couple tracks on the album and he stars in the movie um <laughs> just so, all that <laughs> just all of that so i guess yeah well it's like it's a compilation it's a soundtrack but it says like in big letters at the top jimmy cliff so it's like i always thought it was just a jimmy cliff yeah. album did you he know? curate the re- like the singles on it too uh, I don't think so. I think that was um, the guy from Island Records, John D. Rickefeller. <laughs> <That> <laughs> Chris Blackwell. No, that's actually really funny. I'm proud of that one. <laughs> My revisionist <laughs> history is fucked. Um, so, yeah, like we were saying, it's it's kind of credited with uh, bringing reggae to the world. Um, the movie itself was actually the first ever feature length film uh, filmed in Jamaica, like filmed by Jamaicans, written by Jamaicans, directed by Jamaicans. Hmm. Um, And if you've never seen the movie, um, we're going to spoil it for sure. So fuck you. Um, It (laughs) came out in 1972. (laughs) Yeah, right. You fucked up. That's true. That's why we do this. You idiots. You fucking idiots. You'll never be a reggae feller. (laughs) (laughs) Is this old reggae or new reggae? (laughs) You're a new reggae feller junior. (laughs) Um, So it's Jamaica's first feature film, which is incredible. It's in 1972. And like, I feel like that's pretty late for a country, but I guess they were pretty poor, you know, but 1972 seems late. They've a country relatively recently. Oh, that's, that's a good point, actually. So I guess, all things considered, I was impressed that it was their first feature-length movie or the first Jamaican feature-length movie because it is so good. The movie itself is just so, like... Uh, it gives you a very real portrayal of life kind of in the, the ghetto in, in Kingston, Jamaica. Um, it's not, like, all, like, white sand beaches, you know? It's, it's, it's very much real, and... Um, the, the director, uh, Perry Hensel, <clears throat> he, I watched an interview where he's talking about it and he's like, you have to understand, like, this was the first time that these people were seeing themselves, like, on the screen, like, as they are. It's like, you know, you get the churches, you have, like, the the class struggle that's happening there, you have the, the political uh, police corruption, there's crime, it's, like, it's very real, but it's, it's also very fun, like, the whole movie's, like, a party for the most part until maybe the very last scene. Um, the way they use the soundtrack in the movie is that it's like always playing. There's only 12 songs or so, but they are pretty much consistently playing as the movie's going on. Um, just over and over again, little clips, you know, it's like it's on a radio or, you know, it's just in the background. You don't even know where it's coming from, but the song's on. Um. And so I think they knew that how how... Uh, impactful this soundtrack was going to be 
for people. I mean, it really is like the greatest hits of uh, Sky Rocksteady and, and reggae. Like, I, I was just like also looking up because I was wondering, like globally, uh, it was still relatively one of the first movies, period, to have like a predominantly black ca- cast at that point in time. Like, I think Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song had only come out the year before. Or 71 mm-hmm. and Shaft, 70. So, like, black exploitation had only really just started in the States, like, within a year of this movie. And, like, so, and because of their budget troubles, they might have even, if they'd finished it on time, they probably would have predated a lot of that. So, it is really just, yeah. uh, in terms of both Jamaican cinema, but just cinema in general, it's a big landmark film. Right. And the fact that they, um, the whole movie is spoken in Jamaican patois, which is like it's it's English, but it's like Jamaicanized English, mm-hmm. you know. And if you've seen the movie, you know. I hope you guys watched it with subtitles. I didn't. <laughs> oh yeah. You, no way. Are you serious? I could. I I, uh, I I found it on like a random streaming website, so it didn't have the option. But I think like in some ways that was kind of good. It was like I was like. I definitely wasn't understanding every word that was said, but, like, you do pick up the content. Like, mm-hmm. it is, like... And so I think that's kind of cool in a way that, like... I like that they didn't... It wasn't released with subtitles initially, and I like that. I, I really right. love the, like, forced immersion because you do realize it is still the same language. and Right. Yeah. Right, yeah, that's that's true. Maybe I mean I'll try watching it without subtitles. I love the movie, so I can. I don't think it, and I would say I don't think it's harder to understand than like some Irish or Australian movies. (laughs) To be fair, no, it is just like it is a heavy accent, but yeah, I I I I would not be so intimidated by the patois compared to like just like a heavy accent without patois. (laughs) Like it's right. (laughs) It's just yeah. It's pretty interesting that to to hear like the way that their own language sort of developed. Like, yeah, it's it's English, but you know, well, because it's different. It's kind of like um, I guess like yeah, like Creole in the states, like in New Orleans, because like they were, excuse me, I want to say like a Spanish colony. They were like Jamaica was just so many different European influences, right? On top of right the native caribbean like and, and african from uh, the slave trade influences so like it is like the language really reflects all of that history and so does the music and that's so cool definitely and i love that they i mean i feel like they could have done it if it was like any other I don't know if if somebody else had gotten their hands on this the idea for this movie it could have been a lot different and a lot worse like trying to kind of you know make it uh more like digestible for an English-speaking audience but they filmed the whole thing in this with this patois um so like that's also huge for Jamaicans in the 70s mm-hmm. right they're like holy shit like everybody here talks this way Nobody talks that way in the movies yeah. that we see. And now yeah. it's like you have your like your native language for the first time on a screen in front of you and it's like it's filmed it's it's about Kingston 
and it's about people who lived in Kingston and goes even deeper it's so Ivan Ivan's character Jimmy Cliff's character is based on a real uh villain I guess from Jamaica who really went on this crime spree and uh actually met the same fate the only thing is that uh, this guy was not a drug dealer, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't into music at all. Um, but the movie was supposed. <laughs> yeah, that was the last question they asked him. What? Do you even like music? No, I don't. Now draw. <laughs> I'm more of a movie guy. <laughs> not really that into it. Yeah, <laughs> he was just some Italian I just guy. Gave him, like, yeah, I don't know why I gave him <laughs> like a New York Italian That's accent. That's your patois. <laughs> not really that. In- <laughs> I'm Jamaican. Y'all don't release a lot of music. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I want you to come down to Little wow. Jamaica, NYC. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually one of the, I mean, there are a couple different, like, I guess, Jamaican, like, colonies. I'm not sure if that's the right word, like, around the world where it's, like, we'll Patois is the, the, like, you know, that's what they speak there. And New York City is one of those places, Jamaica and a lot Some of places in London. A, a as lot well. of the, the hmm. original like musicians, like the session musicians from Iowa, ended up in New York, and like I think a lot of the good, what I would consider like the good '90s, and like later uh, American ska and reggae music, comes from people who like trained with guys like Larry McDonald, who was like a really influential drummer from Jamaica, and uh, most of the hmm. Scottalites ended up in New York at some point. So, like, there, I think, yeah, there are, I mean, even, uh, uh, yeah, the influence of this album and this music on, like, music in general, like, the, the, uh, like, the tentacles go everywhere. It's so crazy. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really wide-stretching reach. It's pretty amazing. And the fact that it is just, like, it was... so much like I don't want to say like for Jamaicans but it was definitely by Jamaicans it was a snapshot of Jamaica like just as it is and I was reading an interview with Jimmy Cliff about it and he's saying like the interviewer asked like well you know you paint this sort of like dark you know crime fueled like murderous picture of Jamaica at a time where it was like people were just you know audiences that it was going to reach would just be going to Jamaica for like a vacation and aren't were you worried about how that would affect them or how, how that would affect um, Jamaica's tourism industry and he's like yeah you know I did think about that and that's why there's like one scene in the movie where he goes to like a resort and he's in this car and he's just doing donuts on a golf course <laughs> and that was his like I'll meet you halfway we'll show the resort we'll show the beautiful golf course but I'm gonna be doing donuts on it in my Cadillac that was maybe on the rewatch like my favorite scene of the whole movie <laughs> it was yeah. just so it was such a beautiful pointed bit of like social satire of like the disconnect between the resorts and the slums like being in the same absolutely i don't understand going to a resort in jamaica yeah i want to go to this place but i want it to be as fake as possible like it's so (laughs) yeah Ooh, we're going to jamaica where we're in like the opposite of a cage 
We're just, <laughs> right, we've built the wall cage. around the one nice building we allowed this place to have, and we'll put money sure, into Sure, there's the this. ocean, but we have a pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, resorts really weird me out, like, in general. Have we talked about this already, too? I don't think so. Okay. I don't know where it would have come up. I've actually, I have been to Jamaica one time, and I was on the island for maybe half an hour. It was on a cruise with my parents when I was like 20 years old, maybe. And uh, my parents and my and whole family stayed Dana is currently on the boat. 67, so this was around the time. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. I got off the boat um, and I went to this like outdoor market, which is like probably, it was right by the dock. So it's like really just like a tourist trap. You know, it's people in Jamaica who are like, I, you know, if anybody wants to come buy something to bring back on the boat, this is where you do it. Yeah. For some reason, my, my whole family was like, no, we'll just stay on the boat. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? And cruise, I'm, I hope that the cruise industry dies with this pandemic because like it makes no sense to me. They're horrible. I don't know if you guys have ever been on one. I would never go again. I would never go on a cruise. No, it's I, awful. I also I don't drink, so I really don't get the point of a cruise. I don't want to go on a cruise. No, you don't. I would, but I would I, love I, to be a cruise comedian. No. Oh, no, I could see I, that. Nice Hawaiian those, shirt on you. Like, like, those yeah. are bad. I know, but like, but like, like the anti. Like I just want that experience of living in hell. <laughs> but do you know about like what happens if you're a cruise comedian? You have no like autonomy. You have no. It, it's it's oh my it's. God. Well, well, you you tell. Yeah, you're not allowed to talk to the guests. You have to like stay in your own quarters the entire yeah, time. It would be like being the orangutan. I always knew I could be. <laughs> yeah, you're essentially a work. You you are you worked. You're a crew member. And then you murdered a crew member, so they locked you away. But because you're in international waters, there's no law. So instead of jail, they force you to tell them clean jokes for two hours a night. But, like, it would be so fun to talk your way into that and then completely derail it because then they can't do anything you're in the middle of the water <laughs> they could lock you in a room in a boat for a month and then you don't even get to leave to do your but show you get to tell rich i think i would kill myself if i had to go be a cruise comedian i just want to and tell rich people if you're a comedian you've done cruise bad. ships and you're listening to this and you're offended by it you can go fuck yourself and <laughs> Well, you're probably out of the job. <laughs> yeah, but you're probably out anyway. of the job for good, and we're all happy about it. I guess. I guess to be fair, I don't. I hope your I kids go hungry and your wife leaves you for another man. I guess I don't want to actually be a cruise comedian, but I do want to tell rich people to their faces that they're bad people. Like I want that opportunity. Oh, that's fair. But you can do that like on land. Yeah, but like they're not gonna come to the places I'm at. Yeah, oh, but no. you can like just as easily talk yourself into like, um, like a golf course show. What are those called? Country clubs? I guess I'm not talking my way into it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, would, uh, any of you golf fellas want <laughs> want any a you joke? Start? Golf players? <laughs> you guys swinging it? Is that what they? You guys swinging hey, putt, it? Putt, putt. <laughs> Am I right? Why? Did I ever tell you about when I got to why Dana and I not different Dana and I pretended to be millionaires? I got, from I got a different I 
Ah, she, she, well, you know, just just call her a different Dana, so it doesn't raise suspicions. Uh, the truth is out there. Yeah, Alan. I moved to Boston and got a new Dana, and uh, then I moved to Haverhill, and I was like, I gotta call old Dana. <laughs> Where's old Dana? Old sixty-seven-year-old blonde dreadlock Dana. Mud flaps. Mud old mud flaps Dana. Uh. Hey, mud flaps, want to teach me about reggae? Um, but I was once paid a month's rent to pretend to be millionaires at a billionaire's party. Holy shit. It was the And you craziest... didn't poison them? Oh. No, but I did do something that I will forever be ashamed of. Because uh, it was like this... The So this, this guy has this like international businessman club. And to <laughs> be in the club, you have to own a company that makes more than like $10 million a year. And it's basically for like young CEOs to learn about um, using what's Being the word a sociopath? I'm looking for? No, other way around to try to get them to not be to try to get them to be like uh, like empathy. No, nah, not empathy. Sustainable, empathy? Uh, you know, okay. business practices or whatever, and like okay. be uh, hey, a business let's be, ethics. Yeah, be humane with your money because you're young and rich, and let's not keep doing this. But That's he sweet. thought it'd be funny if he hired two comedians to pretend to be because this is like people coming from all over the world that have never been to america and he was like i thought it'd be funny if you two could be boston townies that somehow came into money and now you're in the club too and he's like and at the end of the night i'll tell everybody it's a joke and we'll all have a big laugh about it and so we pretended to be cousins that owned a construction company and now we're millionaires because we've been scamming the city (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we kept saying like hey we got to build a new building we had some enemies and then we would wink at people and like nudge them uh and at one point this guy and as a lot of them are like trying to get this billionaire to fund like their like dreams and this guy was trying to pitch an algae farm and do you know about algae as like a sustainable protein no alan teach me oh uh well, I don't really know it. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll do my own research. Yeah, do your own research. You live up there with the algae and the dreadlocks and the mud flaps. Uh, but it's <laughs> like, what took, like full Cosby <laughs> with the algae <laughs> and the mud flaps. The algae and, and the mud flaps <laughs> and the dreadlocks and, <laughs> and the mud flap Dana with uh, <laughs> So it's essentially like it, it takes like no water and no like resources to do and like you can make a really good sustainable pro- uh, protein alternative out of algae oh and like the cup that's been on my dresser for six months yeah you're a hero oh okay so this guy was trying to pitch his farm to this billionaire to get him to fund it and i kept interrupting him to get him to not do it because that's what i was getting paid to do but he was saying things like he's like bobby do you know what takes thirteen thousand gallons of water to produce one pound of meat and I was like, 13 gallons of water? And he was like, 13,000. I was like, 1,000 gallons? He's like, no, 13,000 gallons of water. I was like, 13,000 gallons of water for every cow? And he's like, for every <laughs> pound of meat. And I was like, well, how much is that per cow? That's like got to be like 40 pounds. And he's like, it's so much more than that. I was like, so that's got to be what, like 50,000 things of water like per cow? And he's like, no, 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 no. And he just ne- – <laughs> I wouldn't let him get anything out, and everybody walked away from him. 
That guy's going to come and kill you, Alan. Well, then the billionaire guy got drunk and forgot to tell anybody we were joking. So <laughs> these people just left the party thinking that they met two people from Boston who were millionaires and assholes. I hope you used a fake name. How did you get picked for this? Like, how did you, um, how did you like... You got another right, Dana. <sighs> Was Dana the billionaire? I have nothing to offer. No, Dana, uh, Dana J. Bine. Good oh, friend, yeah, yeah, great yeah. improviser. I, I, he does a lot of, like, professional uh, and corporate improv jobs. He got me my other corporate improv job. Well, maybe you should start a podcast with him. I tried. He said no. So I said, uh, where's old mud flaps? Where's... <laughs> now, teach me about reggae. This theme keeps playing out in my life. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Were your second fiddle to other Danas? Yes. All men named Dana. <laughs> it's all men named Dana. After Dana Carvey's Master of Disguise, are you kidding me? Ooh, ooh, kid ooh. Never I know, I know, we're already derailed, but the I, I heard. The, are we gonna say the favorite? There are the same fact about Master of is Disguise. Is it about the nine yeah. eleven? Yeah, it's about the nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> that they filmed the Turtle Club scene on nine eleven. So like, Dana, Dana Carvey is dressed like a turtle man, just being informed in the second tower has fallen, and he's like, oh, turtle. And then, and then they all had a moment of silence, and then it continued filming. Yeah, they it did. They didn't get like the day off. Yeah, they're like, we can't let this terrorist attack stop Master of Disguise from being filmed. Pistachio Disguise doesn't. <laughs> Dana Carvey having a moment of silence for 9/11 in the in turtle the turtles. costume. <laughs> It's the and do you think he like broke the ice afterwards or do you think they're like okay shake it off you know whatever yeah I know you famously lived and worked in New York for most of your career but gotta keep making the master of disguise <laughs> like we're already three days you don't get schedule. to call any of your loved ones you be that fucking turtle man <laughs> it was oh. you who insisted we take last Monday off so. <laughs> <laughs> All my respect to the person that denied the new scene where they used the Master of Disguise to catch Bin Laden. Honestly, <laughs> shocking that he didn't do a Bin Laden disguise. Like, they weren't, like, above that. No, Well, it's kind of no like means. when Spider-Man came out and they kept the Twin Towers in Spider-Man, right? Mm -hmm. And then I think at the end of it, he's on the American flag. And that got, like, a big ovation in theaters. What a weird country we live in. It's crazy. It's so funny. It's we just love fake symbols. Yeah. We, we love being number one. We love being top dog. <laughs> it does it's, not. That's the best. I mean, honestly, weirdly accurate transition back into the movie. Like, the idea of, like, westerns being like a symbol of america like that's like something the movie riffs on but it's like why the west was hard it's like yeah look at that guy murder love him look at this <laughs> this rogue murderer that's our number one hero in cultural look at the lawless plane that's our cultural yeah, gift to the world like that's <laughs> that's the watermark for being a man and and all the best westerns made by filthy italians like <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's not even like is we didn't even do it best. <laughs> right. And yet it's for whatever reason that's like the great American and then I love that like people are like, Oh, he's like a like Ivan's such a criminal, like when it's like contemporary Jamaicans, it's like, ooh, it's so horrible. It's like that's exactly what Westerns were. Like he's doing right. this exact fucking thing. Very pointedly yeah, the- the movie's very aware of it, but it seemed like audiences or white critics somehow missed the very intentional symbolism. Right. Did you guys catch, or do you happen to know, there's a scene in the movie where they're watching a Western, and I didn't I didn't recognize it. I only know because uh, I read about it later. It was a movie called Django. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Okay, yeah, there's there's a lot of that uh, sort of Western uh, themes and, like, aesthetics in the movie um, and in reggae music as a whole, too. It's like, it, it kind of makes sense. For whatever reason, they were just, like, you know, very much influenced by that. And also, in the movie, there's, like, a very... The, there's a an over overarching theme of like class struggle and and politics which is also like another uh sort of consistent theme with reggae music or roots reggae i should say um so let's let's keep talking about it that's uh, rising let's keep talking about it rising was the name of the guy that this um the movie is sort of based on um, he was born Vincent Martin in uh, St. Catherine, Jamaica. Um, and he was like a really short guy with these really violent outbursts. And he had like this really high-pitched sort of effeminate voice. Um, he was like sort of involved in, in gangs. And he was just like, there's a lot of scenes in the movie where Ivan is like overtly violent. Like there's that crazy knife fight where he's just like slashing Slash- up the guy's that was an face. insane scene. It's really bizarre, and like the way that they film it too, it's just like well, so first of all, they're ta- yeah, they're talking about repairing uh, Ivan's bicycle, and uh, he says one of my favorite lines in the movie was like, "Don't mess with your life, man. Like, give me back my bicycle." <laughs> uh, and then like they get into a fight, and he's just like does this like big violent you know sort of attack on this guy where he's like slashing up his face and he's covered in fake blood. I feel like the whole movie had this really weird kind of like doting pace to it, but then all of a sudden something like that's happening and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Like it just seemed to kind of like slowly move around at this kind of wandering pace, but then all of a sudden like stuff like that would just be so jarring where you're like, but it's already, you're in the middle of it and then you're like, oh God, wait, this is happening. Which Yeah. I I don't, this is going to sound so pretentious, but it, 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 it is very like French New Wavy, like that. Like, <clears throat> so we'll cut yes. that out. Yes. <laughs> like who? Like a, give me a like, director. It, it, I feel like like wee wee poo poo. I feel like there was a lot of Godard. Yeah. Oh, this is I, I hate myself so much, but it, there was a lot of like uh, Godard and like Breathless. I see being a big influence with like the the like uh, the uh, when the cop is like shot on the motorcycle that see like it's a pov shot it's like nuts but it felt very much like like the car chases and the in, in breathless and then it's like 
this this like the heightened reality where it's very very mundane and then very very surreal like yeah um so yeah and i think the director did say that like because i think when those movies came out like the french new wave and like those like everyone was scrambling to like keep up like that's like what like scorsese Mm -hmm. says about like his early movies which are all after harder they come so it's like uh, like that's kind of cool like because especially with like ivan's like rise to fame reminded me a lot of like the king of comedy like that like Mm, yeah yeah totally that's a great movie i just watched that one for the first time this year so so much better than joker (laughs) 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 dumb dumbs but yeah like but like they clearly don't have subscriptions to the Criterion Channel. I know. I'm so, uh, I'm so, I, I, I do love this stuff, but it's <laughs> I sound like such a nerd. Uh, it is not. But I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't you. think like I, I, I love seeing the connections like with all these things. Like it was just like artists being like, oh, that's cool. Like it's like <laughs> I want to do that. I want to be cool too. And it's just like. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like it's a it's a crime movie and it's like sort of like this like a noir and uh, Western. Definitely. It's got a lot of pretty clear influences and they all just come to get they're all just, you know, held together with this like perfect soundtrack and like Mm. an element of reality of life in Jamaica at the time that you just you couldn't fake. And it wasn't fake, you know, it's like very much the reality of you know what they were what it was like for there and the fact that it was based on this real guy um i have this quote um it's a from kevin almer who i think worked on the movie at some point it said that uh this raijing character um he was a cultural icon of the Jamaican working class because of his self-identification as a hero of Hollywood and his masculine swagger allied with an uncanny ability to seemingly appear and disappear at will. So, like, he was sort of, like, this character, like, a Bonnie and Clyde-type character that, like, people, like, hated but, like, kind of loved, you know, because he was, like, so fascinating. And he was, like, such a, you know, he's a bad boy and... They, it's too bad because he did succumb to the same fate uh, as Jimmy Cliff in the movie, being gunned down by a fucking militia of, but a real militia of like these heavily armed um, guys that were hunting him because he had escaped from prison and he was on this crazy six week crime spree and he was trying to flee, uh, get hop on a boat that would bring him to South America. Um, but he unfortunately, well, he was shot uh, on the beach and killed. Um, and when everybody was like, we want to, you know, see this guy buried. And, you know, we they told the, the public that he would be buried at this cemetery. So, like, everybody showed up there. And then he was actually just buried in, like, an unmarked grave without ceremony. This, mm-hmm. like, one of the most notorious... Uh, criminals of jamaica at the time that this movie was based on wow i had no idea yeah yeah um so that's that's the movie um and like we were saying it does have this this soundtrack that kind of just glues the whole thing together um another great aspect of the movie that is not in the reality of the story is this like 
musical side to it. Um, so uh, Ivan, the main character, Jimmy Cliff's character, is like trying to make it as a recording artist because he that was what you did, I guess, at the time. He's like in Jamaica, you know, if you were lower class, the two ways to make money or three ways were you could either play cricket, you could become a recording artist, or you could sell ganja. So he was trying to become a recording artist. Um, and he, that's part of Jimmy Cliff's story, but not this, that the villain that this story is really based on story. Um, but the fact that like that part of it comes into play so much in the movie, I think is also like one of the reasons that I'm just so like enchanted by this movie is that there's like, it shows you all of these like record studios and record stores in Kingston and Jamaica and, um, you know, people recording. It shows that you have this great performance from Toots and the Maytals uh, recording live in the studio where they actually did record all those records, Dynamic Sound Studios, um, who was founded by Byron Lee, who has a producing credit on one of the songs on Johnny Too Bad. Um, oh, so that's owned... like the real recording studio where a lot of the, a lot of these guys yeah. recorded. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, real recording studio. Um, they're like you know it's obviously really Jimmy Cliff and Toots and the Maytals, and uh, it's got like this. I I'm not sure actually if the the producer guy of the records Leslie Kong. I don't know if that's actually him in the movie or not. Um, but Leslie Kong was this. Um, Chinese guy who became like the like reggae producer of that time um, at Dynamic Sound Studio and he he actually launched Jimmy Cliff's career and Bob Marley's Um, so he had a record store uh, in in Kingston and it was an ice cream parlor and a record store which sounds fucking amazing Mm. like I want to be there (laughs) I want to live there you're asking for some messy records. Yeah, you are. Sticky records. Although maybe I guess people are probably everywhere else are neater than Americans. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, so in 1961, uh, a young Jimmy Cliff, um, he, just a teenager, is he's singing outside of Beverly Records, which was the name of this ice cream store, uh, ice cream parlor slash record store. Um, he's singing this song that he wrote called Dearest Beverly and he was singing it in hopes that Kong the owner would hear it and like offer to record him Um, and after Leslie Kong heard it he was like all right let's start a record label so Jimmy Cliff basically encourages this guy to start the record label that kind of served up reggae to the whole world and like all of the you know, all of your your favorite reggae hits are like were basically recorded at this sound studio, Dynamic Sound Studio. Yeah. Um, so let's see the the record label was called Beverly's. Um, so uh, Cliff had a couple singles, and his career took off with uh, Hurricane Hattie when he was fourteen. That's crazy. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, I'm my life at fourteen. I didn't do or want anything like <laughs> I just to be like that driven and like talented and I don't know passionate at, at 14 years old like I was just trying to like get to school on time and then I stopped trying <laughs> you know? at 14 I used to make videos all the time with my friends and I did that when I was a lot younger but I was 
If anybody had let us do that professionally, it would have been awful. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it would have been the worst it, thing it, that happened. It would have been the worst mistake anybody has ever made. Like it, it's, I can't imagine. Like, look at this fourteen-year-old. He's doing something good enough to do. <laughs> but you probably didn't sound like Jimmy Cliff. Like, <laughs> what a voice! No, I sounded. I was shit. I was. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I meant like. Even if you are driven what at fourteen, I was you're still that. probably shit. <laughs> You're right. right, Joe. I don't sound like Jimmy Cliff. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, for any listener not totally paying attention, I don't sound like Jimmy Cliff, and I'll never sing as well as he. Well, he certainly as long won. as we all know it. I just need it on the record. From a podcast, Joe, and the orangutan. Uh, well, you know, Joe, you're no toots, for that matter. I'm not. I'll never will be. Listen, toots, you're no toots, okay? <laughs> Uh, so Jimmy Cliff, uh, at some point, he began working uh, as uh, an A&R for the record label and introduced Bob Marley to Leslie Kong, and Kong records Marley's first single in 1962. Um, at some point, Leslie Kong planned to release a compilation album of tracks from the singles that he was producing for the Whalers, uh, and Bunny Whaler uh, allegedly threatened Kong with a curse telling him that if he did issue the, this like compilation record that he would die uh, and then Kong did release the record and he actually died of a heart attack the next year and Beverly Records died with him yikes kind of interesting but th- I'm glad that they put out this soundtrack before then maybe we should get into some of the songs on it that's like a little bit of history about the recording studio and the movie um We'll start with uh, You Can Get It If You Really Want, and we won't go through every single song here, but really just the ones that I think spoke to us we should talk about a little bit. You can get it if you really want. You can get it if you really want. But you must try, try and try, try and try. You'll succeed at This one, You Can Get It If You Really Want, it... It starts, the movie opens with this song, and it's just like, it starts like right away, and I think it really sets the tone for the entire album and yeah. the entire movie. It is so fucking jaunty, and yeah, it, it, it's just such like a burst of energy to open a movie with this song. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it feels so good to listen to. It's so much fun. Oh, not that one. <laughs> there we go. This is a great opener. I was like pumped right away. Yeah, right? Great opener for the movie and for the soundtrack. Yeah. I think the thing I've always loved about Scott Reggae is like, this like joyful music with like really heavy lyrics yeah like this whole album it's like all about struggle Mm. and strife yeah and like like yeah but it it fucking bops (laughs) yeah definitely as much as i like like this song i've always loved many rivers to cross Mm -hmm. too um like lyrically 
But the harder they come, at that song blew me away. Oh, had you like never really? And I heard can't it? believe I just didn't. I guess not, man. I don't know. None of this sounded familiar, and I was surprised the whole time. That actually makes me that, feel like how have I managed to avoid we'll miss this? It, right. That makes me feel a lot better about choosing to do the episode on this soundtrack because. Like, I was trying to, you know, do research on it, and it was like, I really had to dig. There's just not a lot out there about, yeah. and it's so influential, and I think it's because it's like a, a compilation that it's kind of like, people are like, whatever, you know, or it's just a soundtrack, whatever. But like, the, the cultural influence and impact, like, along with like, the, the quality of every single song, it's like, they're... I really think that it should be more of like a household name. And I know it was, it's like, you know, one of the most it's widely really documented as a te- as a piece. Right, right. Yeah. And I think maybe it's a little overlooked because it is so, it was so at the time, you know, it was huge and it was like, everybody had it. And, you know, you can always find a copy of this. This is one of like the one things I remember, like I was like playing that, um, a Jimmy Cliff, album in my car and my mom knew it like my mom's like oh jimmy cliff's awesome like my mom doesn't know like almost no music like it's like my mom's been deaf her whole life (laughs) what (laughs) but yeah like like, it was like even if you were not really plugged in in like the 60s and 70s to like what was cool and my mom certainly wasn't like she was just like uh like she loved like herman's hermits like uh like she was just really into doing school and not like paying attention to like what was going on in the world in the sixties. Like, uh, but she loved Jimmy Cliff and like the harder they come because you just couldn't miss it. <laughs> yeah, so we're like a little bit, I think, outside of that, and that's why it's like you know it's now become like a pastiche or something. It's like looked over as like a, that's like a thing of the past. We don't need to mm-hmm. really talk about it anymore because i guess that's kind of always how i've looked at it right because i've always known about it and looked at it and never cared to open it yeah which is weird now considering I feel like it's a got such an idiot well you should i mean even the album <laughs> cover is like so great it's so cool yeah oh yeah it's it's really great yeah um and, and he- oh go ahead no no okay i was just gonna say <laughs> um it, it offers you like kind of a lot of different types of jamaican music you know mm-hmm. in in this one like you have like the ska stuff and then you have uh the uh the rock steady stuff which i really love um i, I took a lot of notes about <laughs> where reggae came from but we'll just quickly talk about oh. it so there's first wave ska and this is you know ska is like be careful you know when you say i love ska music because most people will roll their eyes at you, right? It's mm-hmm. like Joe Tell knows this firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like Joe looks like the guy that Joe looks like a real big fish fan. I have seen them many times, but not a, a real... real big, real big fish fan. There you Sorry. go. There you go. Whereas Dana is a real big fish fan. <laughs> But not and a real I'm big just fish. Just a fan. big fish. <laughs> well, I never really knew that ska, like you know. I guess it's a sweet bass. <laughs> I I'm sorry. Knew, that's okay. I never knew that ska 
as I know it, third wave ska, the uncool ska. Joe, I'm looking at you. I uh, mighty it. Mighty Boss on Street Light Manifesto. <laughs> well, I just I oh, checker suit, Joe. <laughs> Joe, take off that uh, pork pie hat. Um, yeah, I would rather die. <laughs> in a pork pie hat and a checkered suit. <laughs> pick, it up, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> you go straight to hell. <laughs> um, so first wave ska, I mean, it did inspire that, you know, third wave ska, but it it was um, combined elements of uh, Caribbean music and calypso with American jazz and rhythm and blues um, in post-World War II Jamaica. Uh, musicians were influenced by what they heard on the U.S. radio station. So that would be like New Orleans R&B blues that they could pick up, you know, in, in Jamaica. Um, and fun fact, um, the theory about the origin of ska music uh, is that Prince Buster, who we actually listened to a track from Prince Buster, maybe on the first episode of the so. podcast, uh, yep. his song Madness. Um, and he actually has a cameo in the movie, even though he's not on the soundtrack. He plays one of the DJs that's, um, that plays Jimmy Cliff's singles at the club. Um, so the, the theory is that Prince Buster uh, created it. Um, he's, they had like set up this, uh, not they, they set up like a sound system basically to play R&B music like on the radio, but then they started recording their own music. Um, and he set up a recording session for a label that he started called Wild Bells. So he's kind of like looked at as like the father of ska music, one of them anyway. Um, so oh. after ska in the genesis of reggae, it moves into rock study because you start getting an influence of soul uh, music into this the ska music. And so that's where you get like some of these tracks. I think Sweet and Dandy's a good one. Yeah, I feel like the easiest way to like track the evolution is like the gradual slowing of the tempo. Like Ska is so up. Rock City's like a little bit more like four four like Yeah. And then like reggae's like oh really behind the beat. Like, right. So there's like, like Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh just like that's like I, I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but like that's just like the easiest way I've gotten used to like explaining it. This is The Rivers of Babylon by the Melodians, which is the second track on the album. So, uh, let's see. So then, the combination of rock steady and ska coming together is kind of what brings us uh, reggae music in the late 60s. just keeps going like reggae sort of uh goes into dub which uh i never knew this i've i've heard the term dub for a long time um because i feel like people at record stores really like to talk about it uh but is so dub came after reggae and they call it dub because it was a 
a dub plate uh, acetate disc that was supposed to be yeah. like you get like your instrumental uh, remixes of the songs of the reggae songs and uh, that's where you get like you know a lot of Jamaican DJs or sing sing jays as they called them where they just sort of like rap over over the dub and that's like that's their set it's not it's like they're performing it's almost like break beats like breaks kind of right yeah yeah like a long form reggae break yeah yeah exactly exactly um but they're like performing with it live like sort of rapping over it i know shit i think like i'm not all dumb i think like dub is definitely something that like took me a while because it is so like it is a it's really meant to be i think like a live thing like it is like and so like listening to it if you don't know about it but like on a pure technical level i think the influence of this production like lee scratch perry was Mm -hmm. like kind of credited with production it kind of is like almost simultaneous with like smile of like really using the studio as an instrument like and i think dub is much more like conscious about it because you are hearing the tracks come in and out and be mixed like live essentially yeah and i think i think that that's something and even like the second song on this has a sample like i think the influence of this on a technical level i don't know what it is i mean it's it's got to be a, a, a long line of like colonial racism yeah. but we do not give we give like black artists credit for like things like soul and like like the emotion behind the music but very rarely do we acknowledge the technical, the technical innovations savvy. yep and i i think that is even as reggae and ska gets way less cool the 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 techniques developed through dub through toasting is a very um easy analog for what becomes early hip-hop and like dj culture and techno and dubstep like it's just like these techniques are all over modern music they just got really um like they they took the techniques and ran in different directions colonized yeah so like the 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 influence is not maybe always like obvious like you won't like always hear that and be like that's like reggae but it's like oh that's a technique like overdubbing sampling is like this is some of the first sampling yeah. ever done I- is... I'm, I'm gonna throw on this second track this draw your breaks track because it's I so cool intro, yeah. <laughs> This is all all the same album, all the same soundtrack, but it's really all over the place in terms of like 
production and style, but, you know, it all is so cohesive. And then, not two tracks later, you have one of the, like, most emotional performances um, that can just, like, I don't know, it just makes me want to cry every time I hear it, this, this organ intro. God, it's so beautiful. Mm. was actually written this is one of those songs that was written after the movie um or like not before it i guess i should say probably while they were filming it so uh jimmy cliff wrote this after leslie kong died of the heart attack in 1971 um because you know this guy was like responsible for his career and like his you know his life completely changed they were close friends uh, and when he died, Jimmy Cliff was just heartbroken. I mean, you have to remember this guy was, you know, giving Jimmy Cliff this leg up in life when Jimmy Cliff was like 13 or 14 years old. And then, you know, 10 years later he dies. And they think they, have, they had a pretty close relationship. Which is pretty clear by how devastating this song is. The line, it's such a drag to be on your own, is such a simple but perfect gut punch of a lyric. Yeah. And then the delivery kills it, but also, like, just, like, it's a great... Yeah, like, the writing is really good on this. That's also something that I think gets overlooked in a lot of reggae, like, the actual lyricism. A lot of people don't realize for whatever reason that it's not all about smoking weed. Well, like, these I was are just going to say, These yeah. are deep songs. It's with like, real... oh, this is like cool to smoke weed, dude. Yeah, it. I mean, that's very much like white college kids ruining yeah. a, a good thing. Yeah, As they tend sure. to. Everyone's smoking weed and partying to many rivers to cross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> But God, it, no, it is like it I is feel a, like a lot of reggae lyrics are like informal and and very personal, and it makes it like I don't know because like lines like that, like it's dra- a drag to be alone, where it's not poetic, and it's just kind of straightforward. I feel like that stuff kind of hits really hard because yeah, it's so real. That's that's well, that's how you find yourself feeling in those moments, right? Like when everything goes wrong, you're not like, wow, this is a devastating turn of events. You're just like, well, this is a fucking drag. Yeah, sucks to be alone. Because, you know, devastating turn of events is the most poetic <laughs> turn of phrase I could think of. <laughs> fucking idiot. I'll just, I'm going to go. That's four syllables. Pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I want to I wanna listen to this this 007 uh, Shantytown by Desmond Decker, too, even though it's not available for some reason. Um, that, that probably should have been my song for to showcase Rocksteady because that that guy was very much like you know you can hear it the way that he sings it's like it's very clear there's like some R&B and and like jazz roots in this stuff
Ugh, and rude boys, that was a thing completely changed by, when I think of a rude boy now, I think of somebody in a checkered suit and a pork pie hat, but this guy, that Rijing, he was like said to be the original rude boy. Like he was, he was Jamaica's rude boy, which is basically just a gangster. They are rude. It's true, yeah. Shoot, yep, it's pretty rude. What is this? I'm I'm a loot. I'm a shoot. I'm a whale. I think that's the lyric here. Yeah, I'm a shoot and a loot. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love it. It's so jaunty, but again, it is about shooting and looting. <laughs> yeah. And comparing it to 007, I like that too. Like being like, yeah, we idolize these like classy white murderers. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's still a bad man. <laughs> And then, um, let's see. I just want to play just a clip of this pressure. This drop. song, I think, almost steals the whole album away from Jimmy. Like it's so oh, yeah. good. Yeah. This song is incredible. And this is the one. You have the live performance of this from Toots, mm-hmm. I think, right? Or is it the? I think. I don't know. Oh yeah. thematically it's like it's about real shit you know like that you, you can't make this stuff up this oppression's got the drop on you i think maybe it's just like because jimmy has such like a sweet voice like he's got a very lovely voice but then yeah. this song just has balls yeah like like, <laughs> like toots is just laying everything on the line r.i.p god he died this year fuck yeah. I'm that's like a big regret is my cousin invited me to a Toots concert and I I was like working and if I wish I'd taken the day off or like and, and just gone cuz I didn't yeah. It's the worst. I yeah, I I think I talked I don't know if it got cut from the first podcast, but seeing Jimmy Cliff live my freshman year in college is one of the best concerts to this day. Oh, I've that's ever seen. awesome. I didn't I, I forgot must you had have forgotten that. that. Yeah, because he was Lucky. so, again, so unmodest in like the funniest way of just like I'm a legend, and he is like he's earned <laughs> it, but he just is very upfront about it. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm I would love to still see Jimmy Cliff. At, if and his voice has like again. I think we were talking about that before we recorded. His voice is shockingly intact. Yeah, it's held up. And I think that's that. That might be Jimmy doing backup vocals on that. It sounds like him. But also, the Maytals were really good, so good. Just... <laughs> they were all good. Mm. Yeah. God, uh, we should do at I'm some point. We should do clash. Funky Kingston. Oh, pressure drop. Yeah. I didn't realize that the Clash did that one. Yeah, it's yeah, a fun should... version. It's like all like sped up and punked up, yeah. but it, it it is a punk Pop song. It feels like a punk song. Yeah. 
early on. I didn't know the pressure. I didn't know this wasn't a Clash song for a long time. And it maybe Lee Perry. I don't know if he produced it, but I know he worked with the Clash a lot. So like they were really. Oh yeah. And the Guns of Brixton references. Harder they come. Like right. the Clash were really big into. Well, that's right. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Forgot. I didn't even think about that when we were talking about it yesterday. Yeah. Well, because their base is, even though he's a white dude, grew up in predominantly West Indian neighborhoods. So, like, he kind of brought that to the clash where he's like, oh, this is the music I grew up loving. Oh, so we, we have, like, have him to Joe thank Strummer. for Shitska. Hey, <laughs> hey, second wave is still good. <laughs> Well, Joe Strummer it's did, like like, half brought right. up so much reggae stuff in the Clash too. Yeah. And like they they did so much with that. That's kind of like a lot of, I guess, any knowledge I've learned from reggae is through reading about it because of the Clash. But I think like the important thing with, and now mud flaps with them, and I think a lot of good ska that is not made in Jamaica was the actual reverence for the roots like they like went and recorded in jamaica they worked with artists so even though they were white guys playing reggae they really actually loved it and were doing it out of love and not like just like i want to smoke weed and sell records to dumb college kids yeah (laughs) right yeah they were like travelers Mm -hmm. and i fucking love joe strummer Mm. so so much such like a weirdly great lyricist too like also like some of the lines on those songs just really like whoa how did this guy think of that yeah because <laughs> he always he never sounds like he like because Smart. of like the whole punk aesthetic like he would always be really cheeky in interviews like you don't think of him as like a nerd who loved poetry <laughs> like, oh man there's one interview where I forget what they ask him, but he's like, he's like, I'll tell you, TV's a cunt, the radio's a cunt, the media's a cunt, rock and roll's a cunt, music's a cunt, and, <laughs> and he just like goes off listing everything. <laughs> it's just so funny. That's incredible. I love. I was Joe actually Strummer. gonna ask you because I know your brother Jimmy's a big fan of the Clash. I, I was gonna say you should watch it with Jimmy, but I don't know if he's still living. With you there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's pretty Oh, cool. yeah. We, uh, yeah, we've spent pretty much every month. We live together and work together. So we, we, again, always, uh, right there. Yeah. <laughs> we, we ride, we ride together again. <laughs> yeah. You should tell him to watch the movie if you guys didn't watch it together last night. Thought he'd probably oh, like yeah, it. Oh, yeah. I think he knows we have it for, the, for another day. Oh, good. And then we'll we'll close things out with just a little taste of the title track, The Harder They Come, which is actually on the soundtrack twice. They put it on both sides and reused. Oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Does it end both sides? Yeah, it does. Oh. I, I don't know if I could back this up, but I also read that, like, the Jamaican producers were some of the first people to like really strip the treble off the bass to get that sound huh. that is so actual like bottom heavy bass that interesting is so percussive like it's such 
yeah, the rhythms, the interplay with like the rhythm section on all of these songs is really phenomenal groups. Yeah. It's like so locked in. It's huge. I actually just saw they have, they, they put, um, you can get it if you really want on there twice as well. Yeah, the different, like an alternate version. Yeah. It's like slightly dubbed. Slightly dubbed. A gentle dubbing. Oh, that's what it is? <laughs> Someone had told me a long time ago, you, know, you ever like hear one of those facts that doesn't leave your brain, but you're also like, I don't trust it enough to tell anybody else this fact. <laughs> yes. Uh-oh. Well, here comes one. <laughs> uh, that like white guys big reason. Reggae. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I know a lot of this. Like, this was like co-written by Sublime. I do know that. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! They're, they're the true originators. Uh... I was just like, what the fuck? I looked down at your face, Dana. <laughs> it was a real, a real mask of horror for a moment. <laughs> Well, like, my brain Alan, is no. just like doing like these gymnastics. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, just close Alan. your notes app. Everything you just, everything's a lie. But what um, was the actual thing you were gonna say? Gosh, uh, I don't know. It was like God. April twenty sixth, nineteen ninety two. No, uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, that a big reason that reggae is on like the upbeats is because it was coming from like the US radio stations and it coming in broken up kind of distorted the soul and R&B to kind of come in a little different and that's what caused that like weird change maybe I've heard it's just a shitty international radio signal I've never heard that before but I like it I've heard that I feel like there's also I was reading about it yesterday. There's like an influence of an actual like Caribbean music style called Mento. Mm. Oh, that would make more sense. And it could be a combo of the two because I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know how much. Pre, like this is really, like I don't know what anything really before the '50s of Caribbean music, so I don't know how syncopated that is on the offbeat. But that would make sense. But I like the story of like the broken radios and I just do like. Too. I so do like it's that. Isn't fun, there one? It's just like a cute, fun thing. What the? It's not Mento. Or is it me? It's not Calypso. Isn't there another? Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, I just have Mento I'm going and off Calypso my own thing. in my notes. But, um. Because I got really into, like, Mento and Calypso stuff because of the Jolly Boys. I don't know them. Uh, Do you guys ever watch Later with Jules Holland? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look up uh, Perfect Day or Rehab is the first one that came up that's also a, a good one they did the... an album of yeah oh, uh, Amy Winehouse was very inspired by like, they the did an entire album of covers okay oh my gosh these guys are awesome I ain't got the time and if mommy thinks I'm fine They tried to make me 
But then they have like more traditional, like Mento music yeah. albums as well. Yeah, I'm sure this is just. I mean, these guys are uh, old. This is this is like a lifetime of. So they this. used to be a band on someone's private island for like 30 years. Whoa. They were someone's house band on a private island. Holy shit. Uh, but they were on later with Jules Holland. And uh, which, if if you're listening, they just put a lot of the videos back on YouTube. They they're all taken down for so long, but it was a or still is a talk show where it's essentially just three stages where bands take turns playing songs, and it is the greatest way to learn new music. It's Those? besides like random samplers and comps. It it was it's so it's such a fun way to learn new bands. Oh, the production is so good too. Like compared to like most like late night performances, it, yeah. it, they're really yes. like stellar showcase. It is about live music. Like clearly is like a, a focus on because well, he is like he was like a session keyboardist, right? Jules yeah, Holland. I think he played with a few bands on the show. Probably. I watched so much of it because Nick Cave has been on it so many times. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, so that I mean that's the harder they come I think we've pretty much touched everything I wanted to talk about um, and I'm glad that you guys both really dug the album and the movie and some of the history behind it um, and Joe thanks for not freeze frame. yeah it is this guy's great this guy was a he worked as a private musician on a private island and they let his teeth get to this what happened and here? Joe wants to be a cruise ship comedian. <laughs> Joe, you want your tits to look like that? Yeah, I do. I really. <laughs> Joe's gonna come off the boat and he's gonna look exactly I'm just gonna, like this guy. I'm gonna be so good at blowjobs when I'm done. With my uh, <laughs> oh God! You see uh, this man's mouth, and that's the first thing you think. Shame on you. hundred percent. Jeez, like, Joe. Like, mmm. <laughs> look at the dick sucking lips on the Jolly Boys. <laughs> Perfect shape. Teeth. Teeth on either side on the top and just in the middle on the bottom. Alan is horrified. Me too. The dick sucking lips on the Jolly Boys. Is that what you just said? I did. That's like my favorite line from The Sopranos is when Pussy meets Dr. Melfi for the first time. He goes to Tony, he goes, Tony, no disrespect. She's got a great set of dick sucking lips. <laughs> <laughs> Your therapist has great dick sucking lips. All right, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they kill him. <laughs> oh my gosh, spoilies! All right, Spoil- I'm spoilies very for the Sopranos. <laughs> I'm very curious about this one, uh, and I hope somebody else did some research. I didn't. I thought. I don't have an interesting one. Okay. I can, yeah, I can do. I have like one, but I don't know if there's a better one. Uh, it doesn't sound like. I don't. It. I'll try mine first, and maybe we have the same one. I feel like maybe it is. Well, of course, every album we do the degrees from Frank Zappa, and I couldn't find one. Surprisingly, I was I was surprised about that, because it seems like Nothing Jimmy Cliff had worked with. or anything. Nothing through Island or through like session musicians in New York or through any group Zappa had toured with that I found. What I the only found for it was that Jimmy Cliff wrote the song Many Rivers to Cross, which was once covered by Harry Nilsson and John Lennon. 
which and I I believe it was what that was seventy four. This came out in seventy two. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was in seventy four, and in seventy two, the same year that this came out, John Lennon played uh, with Frank Zappa for a night. Oh. Okay. So how many degrees? So that wrote the song, covered by Lennon, played with Zappa. So three degrees from Zappa. Three degrees. I'll allow it. What about you, Joe? Well, I had that one, uh, but I I didn't realize I didn't know about the Lennon thing. So I was gonna do Nielsen to Van Dyke Parks. But oh, I yeah. thought of a new one that's fun, is that it's a little bit more of a stretch, but it's just funny connections. Is Bob Dylan put out an album with Sly and Robbie and Mark Knopfler. But Sly and Robbie were like the rhythm section for the Whalers. They're on a lot of these songs. And it's a wild album that is Bob Dylan with this reggae rhythm section and Mark Knopfler called Infidels. Mm-hmm. Uh, not great, but one or two great songs, I would say. If you can get over Bob Dylan over reggae. <laughs> but then the funny connection is uh, they do a, a really funny Dylan impression on the song Flakes off of Sheik Your Booty that is, yes. they pretend that it's really Bob Dylan, but it's just not. And it's uh, Adrian Ballou from uh, King Crimson. Oh, oh wow. really? That's so funny. That's cool. I had no but idea. Yeah, so that's a, that's a more convoluted one from this album. I don't know. I'm actually, I would assume Sly and Robbie played on, so they were like such like famous session musicians. This is probably um, a less convoluted one through them, but I just didn't find You it. know, I'd be curious to look at the Dynamic Sound Studios connection because Dynamic Sound Studios not only recorded, you know, every reggae artist that we know now um, in the 60s and 70s, but also like the Rolling Stones, the Temptations, the Supremes, Cat Stevens, and Bob Dylan. So I bet you somewhere in there, there's something that but, we could So that's the thing, though, is Zappa didn't do much in studio. Okay. He did a lot of live recordings until he could afford his own studio. So that's where like the hard part of the connection comes in. I see. So it's like less of like session musicians and more of those like weird traveling musicians. Right. Well, I'll take it. I mean, we got three degrees. That's just wow. Funny. Good timing. Right. That was nice. God. Um, how about what you guys have been listening to this week? Let's get into it. So I was looking at the dynamics. The other uh, there's also uh, two of the Maytals did play with uh, Zappa plays Zappa on a few oh, festival on like a cool. festival circuit. But I think that was after anyone that's been in Zappa Play Zappa had played on a Zappa album. Gotcha. But it is still, although legally, Zappa Play Zappa bears no connection with Frank Zappa. <laughs> legally, so. no connection. So actually, I guess that is legally no degrees from Frank Zappa. <laughs> Which is why we said it after the song was over. I saw a ZPD uh, last year. No, I keep saying that last year, but it's actually 2019. Really? When did, did you see him like the week before everything shut down? No, I don't think so. It maybe it was before that then. Maybe it was in 2018. They they played up here. They played at a ski resort up here on like a really? night of like a horrible blizzard. Oh my uh, god. But I went and I'm glad that I did and I remember after the show I went and I didn't have a ticket or anything. My friend was just like, "Let's just go and like figure it out when we get there." And uh, the woman at the box office was like, we have, there's two tickets. 
or there's two seats in the front. Um, I can sell you one ticket to the good seat and then one ticket to the crap seat, and then you guys can just go both sit in the good seats. I was like, okay. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, no, it was great. And the show was great, too. Um, and after after the show was over, because it was, like, during a huge blizzard, like, the, a sound I will never forget is the sound of an entire parking lot full of people scraping snow off and ice off, the, oh. like, huge, huge, like, an inch of ice off the car. That sounds awful. And I survived. <laughs> One Christmas, my dad got me tickets to see Zappa play Zappa with my friend Dan when we were in high school, and we were just, like, the youngest people at that concert by a good 30 years. Yeah. Just... Yeah. Yep. That is always how I, how I, I feel. I bet those... there's a decent chance that we didn't know each other, but we were at that concert together. <laughs> Probably. I've been to almost every Zappa, play Zappa show in the area for like Yeah, it would have been like House years. of Blues 2012, 2013. When they played all of Roxy and Elsewhere? No, that wouldn't have been that. No, that would have they, been I remember they did titties and beer, and I was thrilled because they like did like the whole shtick with someone dressing like the devil. Yeah, <laughs> it's sick. They're great to see live. I love them, and they usually stay afterwards and shake. Like they'll stay and like shake everybody's hand until everyone clears out. I was and, like says hello. Yeah, my friend got like a, he like caught like a drumstick that got like, like snapped off. Like, like they were drumming too hard. They were drumming too hard. Yeah, baby. Drum too hard. Um, yeah, and they had no opener. It was just them for like two, th- almost three hours. It was really fun. You're not yeah. coming for the opener for that thing. I don't think they had an no. opener when I saw them. They don't usually. Yeah. I saw them open for Dream Theater once. Whoa, that's. I cool. didn't see. I didn't stay for Dream Theater. I have seen Dream Theater live, and it fucking sucked. And I also really? left. Really? Why were you like, oh, cool? Well, no. <laughs> I didn't think that's where that story was going to go after you were like, oh, that's awesome. Zappa and Dream Theater. I saw Dream Theater once. It sucks. No, no, it's cool that, I guess it's cool that they played together. Um, I, I got, the guys from Dream Theater came into a record store I was working at because they had a show in town that day. And I had a, I had a friend who was like really into like, modern prog and i was like really into mm. not modern prog you know so i was like i just asked him like hey, you know if you got a guest spot like i'd go and so they they did put me on the guest list and we went and like my friend was like so in love with the whole thing and they they like played like an anime behind it when i saw them and oh, it was weird. just very cringy for That's me cool, though. not a big fan That's cool they they were like nice though Oh yeah they were great guys but fuck their music and fuck them yeah. if they hear this. <laughs> I only theater, listen to music by music. bad you're, boys. You're nice. <laughs> no nice guys. Um, do you guys want to talk about a little bit about what you've been listening to this? Oh, um, yeah, I'll go. I'll go first here. You want to look up uh, Donnie Benet moving up? This is a guy I started listening to because my old roommate said that it looked like me from the future. Which I wanted to say before you looked him oh. up. Oh. Oh no. <laughs> oh. And then I started listening to him, and I was like, "Oh damn, this is who I would love to be when I yeah. get older." Yeah, this is actually awesome. I love his. He's aesthetics. just a funk walrus. Yeah, yeah. Donnie Benet, the original funk walrus. 
this was from a live show he released uh, over the fall, I think I, I want to say. It was great. It was one of those, like, have you guys had a, see a band do, like, a live stream and it's just available for a weekend? Mm-hmm. It was one of those. And I think I watched this show, like, six times over the weekend. But he's this Australian, I guess, like, funk and dance musician. And uh, he does mostly synth stuff. And it's all, like, uh, vintage synths in his own, like, home studio. And when he plays live, he plays, like, um, he plays bass live with a band. But most of his albums are just him on synthesizers. And most of his albums are, like, he records, he writes it, records it, mixes it, does it all himself. Wow, what a cool guy. And then guy. he's got Donnie Benet and the Donnie Benet Band. Have you ever heard of um, John Martin? He kind of reminds me of him, his voice. No. He's like this Scottish guy who started as like a folk singer and then got kind of like synthy-ish in the 80s. But like, he, he's like one of my dad's like random faves that I grew oh, up really? with, but no one else has ever heard of. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he was on Island for an interesting... Is, <laughs> it, not, is it Martin with go. a Y? Why am I... Th- yeah. Yeah. And he, he got like so like unhealthy... He would just like keep like rocking out in like a wheelchair like before he died. Like Aww. he played all his concerts in a wheelchair. I feel like I I do know one of his Oh yeah. Solid yeah, yeah. Air. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. That's a famous one. Yep. I that kind of sounds like this in a cool way. Yeah, this is great. He knows like exactly what he looks like and I like it. You there are I mean, there are videos for him dancing in a suit on the beach. There, like he knows exactly what he's doing, and him. it's incredible. I, I, it's I really suggest checking some of this stuff out. It's a lot of fun. I definitely will. And look at all these synthesizers. I yeah, Ooh. Donnie Land Studios. That's sick. Um, what what about you, Joe? Uh, I sent a link to you, but it's uh, you could also just type it in. It's uh, I figured. In the spirit of this album, I don't know if I'll have another opportunity to just share a real random ska single from, I found in a collection that was like all in the dollar bin of Newberry Comics. Nice. There was just right, like cause three. This one was Dana, and she fell into the Joe trap. Yeah, there. Are... <laughs> you really did. But there <laughs> is like three discs, all for like a dollar each, Newberry Comics. For, and one was called Just Ska, one was called Ska Beats, and the other one was called Ska Crazy. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's all like, uh, it's all 80s, second, it's all second wave stuff from uh, England. And uh, that's, that is like a fun era that is when Ska is at once like really cool and getting blended with like punk and new wave by like the good bands and then really cheesy also like there's like a lot of very bad but this is pauline black who's most famous as the lead singer for the selector who were really but this song's just such a soul fun bolt of joy i just think it's so joyful it's like i think it's a cover from like a 70s disco song but it's so fun wow is this i read about something called two-tone ska yeah this would be two-tone this is two-tone yeah and again 
starts with very, like, England in the 70s and 80s race relationships are reaching a boiling point. So, like, having these bands that were multiracial playing a blend of British and uh, Afro-Caribbean music was really poignant, but then got goofy real fast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with like just like white guys doing very bad versions of it sure but this is cool though this one's really good and i i, I don't know it's just a random single i have i got to see the selector live when i was interning in england for a summer wow. they were play- it was so funny it's like cambridge england is like where there's um it's like kind of like a like countryish, like college town. Like it's mostly just the giant university. Yeah. But they had a big outdoor festival, and it was just called the Big Weekend. <laughs> so <laughs> such a British name for a festival. But the selector, the selector played, and the surviving members of Desmond Decker's band played. So I was in oh, wow. fucking heaven. That's cool. And all, and all like the other uh, random, like like I knew, like there was some other kids on the internship. I just want you to look at her outfit here. She is it's wearing the checker print shirt and the pork <laughs> pie hat. Yeah, this is this is where it starts. That's where like that that version of the rude boy aesthetic is really big and two tone. That with, uh, yeah, that makes perfect sense because that like when I think of new wave, I think of that stuff too. So that makes sense with this two tone. Yeah, and I think. Um, I, I don't know if it got cut from the first episode, but lo, uh, the movie Lovers Rock, which is part of the Small Axe collection by um, Steve McQueen, the director, not the old white actor. Uh, it It's like a five movie collection that dropped on Amazon just about various stories of like West Indian culture in the 70s and 80s in England. And it is, I mean, God, five great movies in one year like some people never make that like it's really a phenomenal showcase of this guy as a writer director and of like this really um under like hugely underrepresented uh bit of uk history like like i don't know that i've seen many movies that really show black west indian life in the uk from before attack the block honestly like which came out like (laughs) within the past 10 years like this it, it just really was not well documented and like this is like steve the queen like really beautifully correcting that in like these fantastic movies but most of them are very like they're like i think most of them are in some way biographical about different figures but lover's rock just is like one day one party and you get a lot of what this music could be and what it meant for like a lot of people is that they're just setting up a sound system and they're toasting over the music and you really just see uh the best of what it actually can be because I, th- I think a lot of people think of reggae as like sit and smoke but it's created and intended to be dance music and you see that interplay of the djs and the dancers and it's filmed really uh, dynamically and it's it's it, it's like a straight up like magical movie like it is so good everyone in it is like a lot of like first time actors just knocking it out of the park and like 
it's very specific in the details of like a West Indian party in England in the eighties, but it I think captures like party dynamics and like setting up a party and meeting someone at a party so universally that like the specifics and that I just can't recommend it enough. Yeah, that sounds very cool. I wanna watch that. Yeah, definitely check that out. Is it on the Criterion it's on, channel? On Amazon? No, it's on Amazon Prim. Oh. <laughs> oh, um, never mind then. I think I'll pass. <laughs> you gotta I suck watch... Jeff Bezos' toes to watch it. <laughs> his toes look exactly like his head. <laughs> <laughs> They're just oh, little yeah. mini Bezos. They definitely are. All, they all have his face, too, on the little toes. That's... Mm-hmm. He's he paid extra more. for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what trillionaires do. They just <laughs> get their face added to their toes. He's growing his airs. <laughs> He's got airy toes. <laughs> Aouga! <laughs> Aouga! Uh, awesome well, job, Dana. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this I was a really yeah, great fun job. One. Great pick, Dana. Yeah, yeah. Really, like, that, like, that was a real fun one. Yeah, totally. And I finally got to learn so much about reggae. Yeah. From John Teach D. Reggaefeller. <laughs> I guess we. that's all for today. All that leaves is one last piece to do. And that is to find out what's our next album joe so i'm gonna do arthur russell's posthumous love is overtaking me and beautiful yeah i know dana's heard of it i know alan hasn't i think you're gonna like it a lot alan i think it's it's been my go-to i'm having a bad day in quarantine album i think it's just really lovely the story behind it is interesting i did flip-flop a lot between doing that and like the one album he did put out while he was alive but that is like a more avant-garde album and I think I would like to do it at some point but I think this is like a much uh, gentler introduction to one of my favorite musicians so um if like there's any hardcore Arthur Russell fans that are like why'd you pick this one Uh, it's just I I just think it's pretty damn it (laughs) (laughs) and that's okay yeah but yeah it's definitely not like his it's not the one that maybe is his most influential, but it's just the one that I think is really nice. Nice. Wow. And, it, it, and it's it's long, so it covers like a lot of the genres he does go through. And if you want to watch, I know we, if you want to watch a cool documentary about him, this it should be on Amazon Prime still called Wild Combination. It's kind of short too. It's like only like an hour 15. But his life is so weird and like I'll happily talk about it, but it's a great doc. It's a great little documentary, and you're gonna like fall in love with his. Uh, I don't know if they ever ended up getting married, but his like last like partner, that guy is such is so responsible for these like great posthumous albums getting put out, and it's so sweet. Oh, good. I I didn't realize that he. Uh, had only released one album while he was alive oh under his own name i should say he did Uh, like those disco albums yes but the only album under the name arthur russell was world of echo which is i would like to do it maybe but it's just yeah it it is just a weirder album and i we haven't done a folk album it just felt it felt more right for me to do this one this week nice 
it's a great record i'm excited to talk about it i'm looking forward to learning about it and listening to it for the first time i've never heard arthur russell i'm so excited yeah uh i don't think it'll be too hard to find degrees of zappa for them because they um just because arthur had some weird like classical music connections that are really cool and Really, I'm very excited to to watch this documentary. I didn't realize that there was a documentary on him. It's really it's really like a very sweet documentary. Like they found some really like this. You're gonna probably cry based on like how we've cried at every other. (laughs) Because there's just are a bunch of criers. Well, because because it. He, he like grew up in I, I'm gonna jump the gun, but he like grew grew up in Iowa and his parents were like farmer. They like they really didn't get him being gay. And then they like love his like boyfriend that he like died with. Like they like love that man so much. And like seeing his parents come to terms with this like with their son's like lover is it's it's one of the sweetest moments I've seen I'm in a documentary. Cry right now. Yeah, it it and then the music is so fucking cool and weird and goes across punk, classical, uh, folk. Uh, it, I think this album, yeah, like I went back and forth because I did not know Arthur Russell before quarantine, and he's just meant the world to me. Hmm. I'm looking forward to learning about him. Well, that's very sweet. Well, well, that's uh... oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see y'all next week. Well, my balls are blue. <laughs> I blew my and you... balls and mud my flaps. <laughs> This has been brought to you by Dead and Mellow. Follow us on all your social media platforms and shop around at deadandmellow.com to see all of our stand-up, music, and podcast releases. Thank you, and God bless America. All right, see you later. See Are you we guys. actually leaving or just ending? <laughs>